The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. About a year ago, probably longer, we approached Carolyn Taylor to be a guest on the podcast. Yeah, because we, well, we thought she'd be perfect, given her history with Baroness Von Sketch. It's a comedy show, uh, and it's still one of the funniest and most original comedy shows ever. If you've never seen Baroness, first of all, shame on you, but it established, and I've been watching it again and again, it, it established once and for all that women, even, or maybe especially middle-aged, middle-class, often hormonal, silly, ridiculous women, especially those, are the funniest people on the planet. But she's kind of moved on from Baroness, and we wanted her on the podcast, as you say, but she couldn't commit to us because she said she was doing this new project that involved figure skating, Whitney Houston, choreography, and Katerina Vitt. And we knew, we knew for a fact that Carolyn couldn't skate or choreograph or do any of these things. So it was all very mystifying. So the result is I Have Nothing. It's a six-part TV series, I Have Nothing, now available on Crave. That is, I'm not sure I can even, she's a comedian, but how on earth would I even describe it? It's, it's a quest. It's, it's, it's an epic quest. It's a dream. Okay, yeah where Caroline somehow convinces <laughs> world-renowned Olympic skaters and choreographers to create a perfect full-length Paris routine to Whitney's hit song, I Have Nothing. And just talking about it makes it sound so ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, she has, she has no experience, no knowledge about skating, choreography, or, well, really anything about so, skating. I'm not going to lie. We've got Carolyn here. I thought the whole thing started as a joke, a funny but ridiculous enterprise. And I cried all the way through the last two episodes from beginning to end to the point where people asked me what happened to me the day before. Because <laughs> I was so swollen from crying. So are you going to do a Barbara Walters here and try and make Carolyn cry? Because here she is. It's the impossible dream. Hi. Hi, both. What a beautiful intro. Uh, yeah, we should we should put that. What's the Vaseline lens or something? Make me cry and we'll do a Barbara Walters. <laughs> oh, dear. I cry easily or can, you know. So it was kind of weird. I remember sending you an email because we were, you know, as Mo says, we were like determined to get you on the podcast. And then, and you said, yeah, no problem. You were probably in the midst of negotiations at that point, unbeknownst to us. And then I sent you something and you sent me back this email saying, yeah, I'm going to choreograph and skate this uh, Olympic level <laughs> pair skating routine. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. You're, you're a comedian. Ha 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 ha. See ya. Let me know when it's done. Yeah. Cause I wrote you, as I remember it, I wrote you and I said, do you have any experience in the Olympics? Was that part of your coverage was that, you know, skating was that of interest because I was still in that, in the conjuring phase and trying to bring in, you know, any of the people who, who it might've meant something to the, especially the 88 Olympics. And yeah, Wendy was like, well, no, not, not specifically that. Like, I can't remember. It was something like, oh, anyway, good luck. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> I think she might be having some sort of breakdown. <laughs> My midlife, it might be actually a midlife breakdown entirely possible. I thought it was a joke. I didn't realize that it was real. And then we watched the show and we got kind of, well, Mo will tell you that she particularly got all verklempt. Yeah. It was an emotional experience. It, I didn't realize how much of an effect it was going to have on me and also on other 
people watching. I, I really, it was, I think there's a part of the interview where I'm interviewing on camera where I say, I, I didn't think I felt. So I was like, oh, this will be fun. We'll do this. And then as you get, as I got deeper and deeper into the process, it was like, oh, there's no fucking around. Like you've got to do this. And, and the one thing I you know, promise Sandra and promise the skaters is if anyone looks bad, foolish, delusional, it'll be me. But I needed to make sure they were going to look good. This routine was going to be good that they, you know, I mean, they make themselves look good. They're Olympians. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, I felt this responsibility that I don't know if that's antithetical to comedy. I'm not sure. But it was something it was, it was interesting to leave the critical distance of the comedian and just be like, no, I, I'm just doing this now. And I'll trust it'll be funny in its own way. But I'm, the trajectory of the series, it's like goes from what I think is a pretty funny episode one and two. And then there's, Oh, you're always, you know, laughing throughout, but it gets, it starts to twist almost into, we joke like sports doc meets psychological thriller or something. <laughs> That's really interesting. The ethical responsibility of the, of the comedian, because yeah, I mean, I have so many practical questions that I hesitate to ask you about the making of this because it's a bit of a fairy tale, the way that it's constructed, but I'm well aware that it probably didn't all take place in that particular chronology, getting the rights to the song. I know that that was a last minute thing, but... Fairy tale is a really interesting way of putting it. It kind of ended up feeling that way. That wasn't necessarily the intent going in, but that's how it... You know, sometimes a project takes you on its own course and it was like, oh, this is wow, this is how it's unfolding. And of course, it's not as fun to talk about how the sausage is made. You're like, I just want to enjoy the delicious sausage. So the chronology is pretty close. It's pretty close. I did see the psychic on the first day. I think we've, we put her sort of a third of the way in, but she was on my first day of shooting. I barely knew the crew. And you know, I'd done some interviews with my sister, Zach and I, uh, Zach was directing and exec producing with me. And we'd done some interviews and then headed to the psychic and it was my first day with the crew. And I didn't think I was going to be brought to tears or, or teary in my first day on set. It was like, oh, gosh, what's happening? But she was, I don't know, there was something. I went with an open heart. And I decided, and again, and true to her as well. Anyone, I'm not looking, t- trying to make fun of psychics. Like, I, I love reading tarot. So I have big questions about the bananas and the tarot, but but first I think we've got to lay out. Like you got some really big, like some legends. You mentioned Sandra, Sandra Vezek. She was like the world famous or Canadian famous anyway, choreographer. No, world. World famous, yeah. David Pelche, who I didn't like it for. I ended up loving him. Oh, yeah. Isn't he just the sweet? It takes a while though. I was scared of him. And I then bet. he's very intimidating. And when that line where he goes, uh, I, something like, I, I see you, Carolyn Taylor, or just acknowledging you, it was like, I went, oh, she's doing this thing. Yeah, he was very impressive. Go on, Wendy. I'm sorry. Yeah, so no. So there's all of these big names like David Pelche, uh, Katya or Katerina Gordieva. Uh, like it just goes on and on. And and you approach them and you said, yeah, I'm going to, I don't know really how to skate. And I definitely don't know how to choreograph, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what to do. Like, really? Like, I know that Mo would like to ask all kinds of terrible questions about like, so when did you get them on and how much did you pay them and, and whatever. But oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to know how the sausage is made any more than anybody. No, I do want to know how the sausage is made. I do. But when you pitch them and you said, so do that uh, twirly thing, like, <laughs> what did they say? I mean, one of the most 
humiliating moments for me was the first day and Zach said, do the routine for them because the routine, of course I do on stage, but, and it's horrible. It would be like, do your comedy set in the living room. Like just, Ooh, you don't want to do that. And in front of them, something that made audiences laugh on stage. Now I'm saying, this is my vision for you. It was so like inside myself, I'm cringing and I know, but you got to do it. This is the show. And seeing their faces as I'm acting out things that, of course, they're not going to be able to do because they're physically not possible, some of the moves. I think, David, we don't have it on camera, but I think right after he saw me do that, he was like, "Uh, taxi? (laughs) Get out of here. But they, of course, at that point had flown in from Edmonton, so they were on board. And of course, you know, their relationship with Sandra Bezik was, you know, of course, hugely influential as far as their ability to take a chance on me. She said, you can trust her. And so they said, okay, but still they had to listen to me. Yeah. Sandra really was key. I mean, once you had Sandra, everything fell into place more or less. The skating pieces for sure. And, and just as a creative mind, she's, you know, she's wonderful to talk to. We formed a real friendship. And the music was the other. Oh, Michael Perlmutter, what I put him through, like, And it was so fun doing that scene with him. I think it's episode two and again, in maybe three. Yeah, what a good sport. And he had to work really hard. We didn't realize that, you know, David Foster was going to be a slippery eel. And with music rights, I mean, I really didn't know much about them at all. I was like, we get the rights. And it's like, (laughs) no, you know, the Houston estate could say, no, I don't want to, or we don't feel like it. Or there was a biopic coming out at the same time. So that we had some restrictions, like we can't, play it till after that. Ad- I can't remember. There were anyway, all sorts of restrictions. Whitney biopic. The Whitney biopic. Yes. Sorry. There were so many hoops to jump through. And one of the producers from Blue Ant, uh, she's based in New York, met me in Toronto. And she said, so she'd watched the first two cuts of the series, Rough Cuts. And she's like, so we got on board and gave you money without you having the rights to the song. <laughs> like she, I don't even think she realized she's like, what? <laughs> Wait a second. It's called, um, I have nothing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> but we had a great team of people working as you all know, you know, there's, we show the fairy tale, but there's a lot of zoom meetings and Excel spreadsheets and people working tirelessly to get IOC Olympic footage and rights cleared. You know, people work very hard behind the scenes. I think we're getting a sense of why you did it, but it's really interesting to think for other people, like when you describe it, like my reaction was like, yeah, right. It's it's a joke. She's a comedian. Ha 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 ha. Good luck. Um, But then you did it. And then Maureen tried to tell members of her family about it. I, I told my husband about it and he was like, oh yeah. So it's like a, a mockumentary, like that dog show thing. And I'm like, no, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's completely real. Like you sort of met, so you cut two versions. One was the funny version and then you decided, no, that doesn't. Well, not exactly. No, we cut, I mean, we moved along through this series. We had restrictions around the song. So we did have another, the scenes where you see us listening in headsets to the song, we were shooting those because we didn't know if we don't get the rights, we can't lose that entire scene. So when I'm lying on the grass with Mae Martin listening to the song, we could have put it on a little speaker but we had it in our headsets in case we don't get the song and we have to make another choice uh, for the series. Now, of course, I wasn't completely delusional. We had a very good chance of getting, you know, we were going for it, but we had to have a contingency, you know, in case. So no, it's not a mockumentary because a mockumentary is 
fake. Like say it's waiting for Guffman or best in show, let's say as two great examples of mockumentaries, they're not actually putting on the play and they're not actually at a dog show. Whereas this is actually got performed. It was actually choreographed by me with Olympians. Now it's a comedy. Do we make some funny edits? Do we sometimes like Wendy was pointing to earlier, things are a little off for the storytelling, but like we did the things. Those are my actual friends, not actors talking about me. And it's my childhood friend who's like, she's a dreamer, but her dreams are really weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's my friend since we were 10, you know? Speaking of friends, you and Mae Martin should collaborate again a lot. You're a lovely pair. Again, it's the Don Quixote, Sancho Pesto kind of imagery, but she's both incredibly supportive, but her face wrecks all our feelings. Yeah, they really are a tremendous comedian and a great, you know, foil and also observer. Someone had, had sort of labeled them as the Greek chorus uh, so that, you know, they were really, it was really fun to do that with May. And May had been on stage with me in, I think, Halifax several years earlier when I'd performed it at a Pride and May flew in and did their material and I did the Whitney Houston piece. So they'd firsthand seen this thing. And then when I told them the show was greenlit, they were like, what are you talking about? Like, how? So yeah, they were perfect. I was so, so happy they could be there. Yeah, so they say at some point, She's forgotten she's a comedian. (laughs) (laughs) She's drank the Kool-Aid. She's gone down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Totally. And did you? Like, you look so exhausted. And like, how did you keep the faith during the whole thing? Like, did you know it was going to work out? Or that's why you had two versions? (laughs) Well, I mean... I think the network had asked us before we got the green light, well, what if you don't get the rights to the song? For example, does that mean the show's tanks and we can't air it? And so Zach and I wrote a whole thing of, oh, no, no, no. It'll be funny either way. We'll make it work. You know, whether the skaters have to skate and it's silent and we say press play on your MP3 player. or I don't know. We just, we basically (laughs) said, and I guess this was the safety net of the show, was the comedy, right? So if things really started to go off, we could always use that as comedic fodder or as like my descent could become funny. But at the same time, making sure the skaters are looking good. Like it was a real balancing act. The women of ill repute. Carolyn, watching this and like your pink cheeks, which were from either being cold or being flushed or being embarrassed. The vulnerability is a big risk to take because you're you're allowing that side of you to be shown. And I mean, I mean, you did it back with Baroness. I mean, it was all humor. It has to be to a certain extent, not too vanity oriented. You have to be able to put yourself out there. But you really, really did in this. We didn't have a hair or makeup team until, you know, that final, the final episode when we were, you know, performing the big show, we did. And that's when Sandra says, you know, normally the choreographer doesn't get hair and makeup. And in a series, normally the lead does, you know, usually that happens and wardrobe. So instead I was sort of left to my own devices, which I think actually, I don't even know if that was a conscious decision. It may have just been a budgetary decision on our part, but it ended up being a very smart decision because then I'm wearing really my own clothes, throwing on what I've got and that was the hat I was wearing. And then it worked, you know, it, it popped and it was like, oh, these choices 
Like people are like, oh, the full gene. It's like, well, I often do leave the house in all gene. So the vulnerability you're talking about, yeah, Moynan said, oh, you, it's a deeply feminist act to go out there. And I, I like have, I mean, I put on my own makeup. I put a little concealer. Uh, I don't know, whatever the small th- people who don't wear much makeup wear those things, you know, like little things to try to look okay. So yeah, but I, I was happy to just look like myself, I think. Because it would have probably taken me out of it if I was fully, you know, glammed up. Kristen Wiig, who I think is really funny, she's a comedian. And then she went into movies. And I miss her so much doing like, maybe she still does a bit of stand-up on the side, but I don't see her as much anymore. But you, like, you're probably the same age. You're not like 12 anymore. And you're deciding to do something that's really, really hard and put yourself out there. And like, why don't you just go off and like read scripts and do movies and be famous? (laughs) it's just so easy there's so many scripts here and movie offers just (laughs) just landing on me all the time you know as a queer a 50 year old yeah it's just really there's tons like my friend said like I kind of am a dreamer and I like dreaming things up and I like making art and collaborating and projects and music and I like doing that now of course if I were offered some great movie role I'd I'd probably say, yeah, for sure. Thanks. But I really do like making people laugh and I like adventures. And and this one, it just was kicking around and I couldn't get it out of my head. So it felt like something really fun to pursue. And the team, like we all, everyone got behind it. They had questions, but soon we were just all, you know, going along. Now, this is a, a sincere takeaway from watching this show. Wendy and I are, are, you know, not quite the next generation after you or ahead of you, but we're older. Just had a discussion about this before you came on. I hate saying it. I hate admitting it. <laughs> old, 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 old. Sorry. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but my takeaway, like Wendy and I started this podcast two years ago, right? Again, this is sort of like when you're supposed to, well, aren't you too retired? Hell no. Why would we be? That's such a strange to me. Retired means withdrawing from the world and watching your crazy dream take place and told so well, I found, and I'm sure a lot of other people are like, yeah, why the hell don't I follow my dreams? Except first of all, you have to have a dream. And in your case, a very specific vision of what you want to do. And if you have that, you should be able to at least try. Well, trying for sure. And also finding out the medium or, or, I mean, in my case, I was talking to Zach the other day and, and we were sort of trying to figure out, it's like the dream allowed for the TV show and the TV show allowed the dream, you know, like they really allowed each other to exist, if that makes sense. And so for other people's, you know, dreams or visions, or, I mean, it's sort of finding out what's the thing you're good at. Cause I, you know, I understand comedy and, and television. So that is a world that I could move through. Even though when I had the, the vision of this, I'm like, I'll just do it at any old rink. If I could just get the skaters to do this, I don't. You were McCormick's. My kids had right. They played hockey there. It was very- exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's really fun. And it also shows it's not one person doing it all. It's a literally a team of people. Like there was no one expendable. We all needed to be there to get the thing done and the rinks booked and the, you know, the audience for the finale. I mean, my God, there were so many, so many jobs. So are you a skater now? Are you a... <laughs> well, listen, I have those fancy black skates. Oh, 
I love those. no mouse poop in them. That, that was the, no, the, the, that was the old pair had mouse poop in them. 100% true moment that they had been in the cellar and that's what was in them. Uh, no, the fancy black ones. When I spoke to Sandra early on, I was like, oh, maybe we'll do a scene where we go to, you know, skate shopping. Like we go to Canadian Tire and we find me some skates. And she's like, oh, <laughs> we don't go shopping for skates. They come to you. Like she just the thought, oh, there's a store with skates. No, no, someone comes and they fit you and they put the skates in an oven or something and your foot gets baked into them or I, well, that's, I can't remember the exact process, but I had to put my feet into hot skates and then stand there for 10 minutes, I think, while they shrink wrapped around my feet or something. It makes you think we all learned to skate as Canadian girls. And I grew up in Montreal as well with these, and they're still making them. They're, they're the most hideous instruments of torture. They're not made with any padding. No, they're awful. Those skates we grew up with, like people have said, oh, so you wanted to be a skater since you were a child. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't. I, in fact, partially disliked skating as a kid because I'm in these horrible like skates. My ankles are going in. We're in Montreal, so it's freezing. My memories are being in the change room with my mom crying because my feet are burning, you know, after they freeze and then they thaw and it's that searing pain. So yeah, my memories of skating are like, ow, ooh, I'm not good at this. I have to just, it just came to me. We used to go skating at, at, there was an outdoor rink at West Park in the West Island and it was same thing. And there'd be a little hot that you could put, but it wasn't heated. So you just started cold and uh, then you'd skate around. It was so much fun. And then I remember going home, sitting in the back seat. This has just come to me now with my skates and going, I wonder what would happen if I licked the blade. Mm. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> Did you? Oh, oh no! Oh. <laughs> Just get back to me now. Oh, other ended up pouring her coffee up my Like people do it with a cold pole, and you think that's dumb but like <laughs> i sorry, did that but like you did yeah but a blade i wonder what would happen oh so now you're seen as this huge boon like everybody in the skating world apparently loves you like you yeah you're like this hero of the skating world <laughs> who'd have thunk who'd have thunk i mean listen that skating world they are so loyal to each other i mean i was again looking at a certain cohort, right? So I, I don't know all the skaters. I'm not the person who knows all of them, but the ones who are in the show and sort of around that generation of skater, they really, uh, I think Barbara Underhill said it in episode six. She's like, this is like a class reunion. Like for them, just to have them all come together, I had said to Zach early on, I'd be happy just to sit at a t another table. I don't even have to be in the scene. I just want them to be together. You know, when you sort of look at the people you idolized and just want them to hang out and talk. And you're like, don't mind me. I'll be at the other table. But they were so generous with their time and, and their trust. And, and you changed the skating like, world. We'll, we'll just say I that. Changed this. <laughs> Imagine. Until I choreograph an Olympic routine at the Olympics, I will not have changed the skating world. You should mention Katarina because she's almost like a ghost presence. And, and I don't want to give too much away. But she is a presence in the... Uh... We invoke her spirit many times. And just that footage. I mean, you both... Were you glued to the TV in 88 watching her? Like, 
Yes. Well, those Olympics meant as much to me, well, maybe not as much to me as to you, but a lot. Those Olympics were really important. I was in Ottawa and not watching, so. You weren't watching? I've heard of Calgary, and I was alive in 88, (laughs) but... uh, Family's an Olympic family like yours. Like we just watched. We still do. Yeah. So 88 is in infamy and as well 76 that were in Montreal. But of course, I think as my sister mentions, I was three and I didn't get to go. I got a pinwheel. So Nadia Comaneci, I remember, oh, the whole family saw Nadia Comaneci. Oh, yeah. Great. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but 88, yeah. Katerina Bit. My God, that routine was something else. So we're not allowed to reveal that, uh, well, she's a ghost. She's, she's a ghost and, and the costumes are amazing. But, but I want to, I guess it sort of goes back to like you changed the whole skating world idea. What do you take away from, from this? What did you learn? Or, or is it just you showing everybody that you got to have a dream and you got to go for it? I don't know. I think I'm still learning from the experience. We sort of capture it a bit in, in six after the skate. And I'm just like, I was really, out of it after that, I really was like, what happened? Like, this was amazing, but what happened? How did this happen? And, and I think in our lives, if we work towards a dream, usually it's over a much longer period of time. And what we're working towards exists for a longer time, potentially. This is me just sort of trying to make sense of it. And so this idea that I worked in such a focused amount of time, here's this routine, and then it's over, it's done. And so that idea of I have nothing, which sort of resonates on different levels, it's like, oh, you can't have anything. You can create something and then it dematerializes and people go off and it's over. And wait a second, what do any of us have? (laughs) Maybe that's depressing, but something about that. Especially theater, you put on a show, you work for months and months and then the show happens and you have a run and then... I remember doing that as a kid and just being absolutely devastated when it was over. Because the connections you make with the other people and you inhabit the character and the world and it becomes part of your life. It's like, and I I felt that when I was choreographing and sort of skating, you know, every morning getting up and going, there was something really beautiful and expansive and terrifying about that, that you, to inhabit that world. Yeah, it was really, it was quite overwhelming. It was a lot of sensory (laughs) stimulus. Which brings us back to the bananas. So whenever you got freaked out, you would eat or just generally you, you ate a lot of bananas. What, what What's going on with the bananas? Well, I mean, in my life, I certainly enjoy a banana, but I'm specific. <laughs> like I don't want a green banana. I don't want an, an old banana with the gross bits on it. I need it perfect or I don't want one. But I guess it was one of the things around and it sort of, you knew, oh, I'm going to have sustenance and I don't have to sit down and eat a big meal. And then it just, I guess, next thing you know, and Zach was great. We were very, you know, as you know, with improv, that yes and philosophy, it's like, oh, well, let's have another banana around. And then it became a very easy treat for me to enjoy that didn't get your hands dirty, you know? And Anyway, next thing you know, yeah, I'm the person who eats bananas all the time, but it helped. But I really, in life, enjoy a banana, but it's not my, I don't usually have that much physical output either. So that, I guess I needed it to get through. It's a wonderful series. It's hard to explain to somebody, well, like me, like at the beginning, the, the stupid email, I was like, yeah, well, it's very funny, <laughs> very funny, girl. I won't well, get no, back no. to you when you're done. But it's beautiful. It's a beautiful series. It is. Thank you. 
Maureen cried. She cried. Not everyone's asking you, what are you doing now? What, what are you doing? Recovering. Next? I'm recovering still. I have another idea actually for a season. If we should get a season two, you know, television, if, if, if all those things. So there is something else cooking that is a true dream and desire. So that, um, and I was, I have said to a couple of people, if you watch the series, in fact, there are clues. Oh, you could maybe watch it backwards and on acid and you might (laughs) know what. (laughs) Well, I know what I'm doing this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah. So something else. And then I'm not sure I go, I do go follow sometimes. That's sort of, I kind of can go, go, go. And then get very quiet. And that's allowed. I think yeah. that's allowed that I think that's the only way sometimes to, to do it. So we'll see. Well, it's lovely. Thank you so much for eventually being part of this. There, there was a series in between, which turned out it's great. Well, I'm glad we had to wait till now, or we'd be talking about this project and you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, what yeah, are you yeah. really doing? <laughs> I'm like, no, He's Wendy. Clearly lost it. But anyway, tell us more about Baroness. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great talking to you both. Great talking to yeah. you, Carolyn. You guys enjoy your dinner together. Oh, yeah, Wendy. You. Let's go have a oh, great yeah. dinner. Send you pictures, Mo. It'll... <laughs> I think Mo wants to be invited. We'll invite yeah, her. We'll invite yeah. Mo. We'll invite Mo and find a place <laughs> to sleep and all the things. It'll all work out. Aww. I have a dream. I don't know. <laughs> if you're watching this on uh, on YouTube, which you can, or even through, you know, just follow the link through our website at womenavailrepute.com. You will see that Wendy and I, my dream is that we should not dress the same way. <laughs> well, it's almost the same. I think we should have got Carolyn to wear like the same outfit. The, the three You're of us could have been. That shade of blue without knowing and the same shade of lipstick and we have short hair and it's like, this has nothing to do with Carolyn. We'll get to that in a second. But I mean, we should at least try not to confuse people. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think we should get like little uniforms with uh, women of ill repute yeah. across the front and then hand them out to everybody. And I don't, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. I loved her. It was, uh, it was worth waiting a year and I'm glad, well, now our, our podcast is over because we've recorded Carolyn and then we're, we're all done. No, she's, she's, she's lovely. And, and it was fun to talk about like not just the obvious stuff about doing something really strange and loving it and creating something, but also about the sausage and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It, it's really, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we never got to find out exactly how much uh, David Pelche was paid. Well, no, and this is something that I, I wanted to bring up. I wasn't going to ask her horrible questions. Like, what did you pay them to get them to do that? And I didn't want <laughs> but to- That's what we really wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to take away from the- from the magic of the story that you did get these huge names. There were brownings in there. Yes, Katerina Witt shows up. Oh, you're not to say that. Well, Stop she's there. In the, you'll have to see the show. She's a ghost. She's a ghost. Yeah. yeah. So all this happened. And I mean, you know that they didn't just agree because Carolyn Taylor's a comic genius, although she is. Probably they didn't even know who she was in some cases. So there had to be money involved. But that doesn't, at the end of the day, that does not take away from the fact that she pitched this crazy idea and enough people bought into it to make it happen. I mean, that you can't take that away from her. And it's inspiring as hell. It really is. 
Yeah. No, the first uh, first series, I was like, wow, this is great. Second series, I was like, ah, I don't know. And the third series, I was like, oh, please, 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 please. But did you notice in the interview, she, she had to stick in yes and, which is you've been preaching the, uh, the value of that from the very beginning. So I knew it was all a plant. It was all <laughs> like the whole, the whole thing was just a plant for yes and, which I'm coming around to. Yeah. Good point that we started this podcast uh, almost two years ago talking about yes and and journalists go no but so that's sort of the crux of of what i think we bring to the table but anyway i thought it was really inspiring and i think there's a lot to be said for doing something like i think i'm very proud of this podcast and i think this is something that we did all by ourselves we started out with absolutely we had nothing and you know what we still don't We have not, yeah, but now you're going to do acid and watch her series uh, for clues. <laughs> oh, backwards. Dream. <laughs> Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.